If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, I am so excited to be bringing you a conversation with Peter Chattel about the 10 Principles for Profoundly Positive Performance. You may remember Peter if you're a longtime listener of the podcast. He was on episode 51, which, gosh, I think was three, maybe even four years ago. And at the time, he was a consultant primarily serving for-profit companies. And he has now become what I think of as a crossover consultant. So he is dedicating the rest of his career to really serving nonprofit organizations. And listeners, as you know, I believe that the business community and business thought has so much to inform what we do in the nonprofit sector. And so I am just so excited that we have got Peter back on as we approach our 200th episode. Not quite there, but it's happening really soon. And so if I were to think about four words that really epitomize Peter and his philosophy, it is purpose-led, people-centered, process-driven, and performance-focused. And those are the four words that drive Peter and absolutely everything that he does. And using those four words, he motivates people and organizations to an even higher level of performance. And so I am so excited as he has been making this crossover. He has developed 10 principles for profoundly positive performance. And we are going to be talking about a few of those principles today. Hey, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Dolph, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for this opportunity. I'm delighted to be back on. So thanks for having me. Well, let's start by talking about your decision to become a crossover consultant. I know, gosh, back in the summer, you and I had a little bit of a conversation. So I know what prompted you to make this shift. But can you share that with our listeners? I'd be happy to. I'm not, I'm not particularly uh, proud that it took the murder of George Floyd to wake me up to racism, quite frankly. But that's what happened. And for me, it was a personal inflection point. 
So, you know, what I am in the midst of is a journey to better understand racism. The metaphor I've used is it's like that dot picture. You have to hold a certain distance from your face before you see that there's actually a picture there and it's not typically two-dimensional, three-dimensional. Well, that's what the murder of George Floyd did with with racism for me. So I now no longer can ignore it. I am in the midst of studying, learning. I'm in the midst of a 30-day challenge. I'm leading a book discussion group with my Rotary Club on white fragility. I'm in the midst of other conversations about race and racism to educate myself. But the thing I could do more immediately was to put a stake in the ground around how I'm going to dedicate my practice. And I've done a fair amount of work over the last five years for nonprofits, Dolph. So it was a pivot, not a significant pivot in terms of what and how I do, but who I'm going to be dedicating my time to. And what's been amazing is almost immediately, uh, I was approached by the Georgia Center for Nonprofits, and I've got two contracts with them to to help with project work that they needed help with. And that's been very interesting and, and fulfilling work. Uh, so that's been rewarding. And I am coaching a couple of uh, nonprofit executives currently. So it's not a, it wasn't a significant shift necessarily, just an open declaration. You know, since then, I've had the opportunity to meet just so many nonprofit leaders, board members, and have some very useful conversations. I'm growing my knowledge. I like to say, I, I, you know, because of my for-profit background, I, I try to bring the best of for-profit to make nonprofits better. First of all, I just have to say mad respect for you. A lot of people who are white have had a similar realization of you that, that you've had this year, that black lives really have been undervalued in our country. And frankly, that we have often just sort of swept it under the rug when black people are murdered. And a lot of white people have had that realization this year, but the realization has not prompted them to change the way they're doing things or prompted them to change what they're doing. And so mad respect to you that you're not you're not just stopping at that realization, but you're going further and exploring things like white fragility and exploring things like what can I do to actually be part of the solution as opposed to just shaking my head and going, well, this is really sad. Yeah. I, well, you know, and one other thing I'm involved in is this been a, a week-long program with about 40 other coaches from around the world. So it's from 10 to 12. It's been every day this week. It's about rising awareness around racism and what we can do as coaches to, uh, one, bring that into our practice and have greater influence with our clients. And so how do we move? It's been a process of moving from awareness to advocacy to then allyship and then ultimately activism. So that's the journey I, I'm on. I'm I've yet to become the activist, I think, yet. But, you know, that's, for me, that's uh, the journey moving ahead. That's where I'm headed. Right. And I would love for us to just unpack that a little bit. So what are some of your key takeaways from your week-long coaching program? 
Well, yeah, I'm in the middle of it. So today is day, today's day four. The first day was setting the context. So Monday was setting kind of the context, introducing the facilitators. Tuesday was focused on awareness. So it was people sharing their personal stories and where and how had racism, where had they experienced it? How had they experienced it? Raising awareness of everyone has been participating. So, you know, for me, it was, I was raised in small town, upstate New York, uh, very few uh, people of color. Uh, you know, we had only one family of color in our church. The father of that family had the same birthday as I did. So we kind of had this kinship. I just didn't have many uh, experiences with people of color at all growing up. It's been a process of, you know, for me, just gaining clarity of just where and how pervasive racism is. You know, I just read an article this morning about the uh, Fair Labor Practices Act and the fact that farms aren't covered. And they aren't covered because Southern politicians insisted that they weren't covered because they employed mainly blacks at that time to do the field work. And they didn't want to have that economic cost placed on them. So they got exempted from that, which is just another way in which racism has been, you know, perpetuated through our legislation. I shared that with the group that in Rotary for the white fragility saying, think you might find this of interest. Right. And, and, and I also just have to jump in. It, it's one of those ways that racism has really been institutionalized, not just perpetuated, but, but institutionalized in our country. Exactly. And that's the right term. And then, you know, yesterday's conversation was about advocacy. And so, you know, what does advocacy mean and how to become an advocate and speak out? And, you know, the commitment I've made is, you know, even you just go on social media, become more aware of who are the social justice and equity people, what are they posting and how can you support, you know, reinforce them. And if people are taking risks uh, about speaking out to uh, have their back to say, yeah, I, I agree, you know, you, you're doing the right thing. And then, you know, today is about allyship. So, you know, how do you work collaboratively with others, I think, is what today is going to be about. And then tomorrow is about activism. So, you know, it's not just about learning. It's about taking action, ultimately, right? It's it's getting involved in ways and speaking up, speaking out, and getting active to work to eliminate this. I, I live under no illusion that this is going to be something that's eliminated tomorrow or even probably, you know, certainly in my lifetime. But it's no longer acceptable. It's just not acceptable to me. Uh, this is where I'm at, and it's been a profound year for me. It's been a very challenging year, but this has been a huge awakening. And Peter, one of the things that I really hear is that professionally and personally, your life purpose has reshaped and come into focus this year. And I think that's also one of your 10 laws. Yes, it sure is. It's, in fact, it's the first principle. <laughs> you know, it's the first principle. And it, there's no mistake why it's number one. And, you know, the first principle is you must know your purpose in order to know what you truly want. And I find success is getting what you truly want. So, you know, this is all about being clear about why you're here. And for me and the people that, that I've worked with and uh, the individuals and organizations, I always begin with purpose work. And no one's ever come to me in terms of coaching with clarity in terms of being written down. They may have an idea in their head, but no one's come to me and they're basically the, the compass for life that I, I work with people to develop this clarity is what are your five to seven core values? What do you hold as most important? 
associated with each of those core values, what is at least one core belief? Values and beliefs are related, but beliefs, you know, are what you hold as a truth related to what you hold as most important. And then finally, uh, what is your purpose? And, and typically what I ask people to do is go through their and reflect on their life first uh, as a part of this process too, to just take time to document over their life, what were the high points, low points, what were the greatest adversities they faced, who was most important, what were their dreams at different stages of their life, what were their goals, to look retrospectively. We aren't really encouraged to do that. I'm a big believer that uh, experiences are only rented. They're owned when you reflect on them and ask and answer powerful questions about, so what did you learn? How are you changed? What do you now have to offer because of that experience? And that's all important to gain the clarity around why you're here and what your purpose is. Right. I love your phrase, experiences are only rented. That's a great phrase. I'm going to be using it. Thank you. I also just have to reflect as I look back on my career in the nonprofit sector, for far too long, I allowed my position to define my purpose. And so I started life with a social work degree as a case manager, and I really allowed that to define my purpose. Similarly, when I moved into fundraising, I allowed the pursuit of raising money to become my purpose. And then when I became an executive director, growing an organization and growing its impact and its mission became my purpose. And it was only... And I know I talk a lot about my burnout on this podcast, but it was only through burnout that I actually realized that I had to step away and take the time. And it's it's not easy work. And it doesn't happen in a day. Like, you don't think about your purpose, and a day later you know what your purpose is. And actually take the time and, and ask these questions. Why am I on this planet? And, you know, given the fact that I may only have three decades left, maybe less on this planet. What impact do I want to have in those three decades? Exactly. Uh, and I would just say to you that uh, for me personally, as well as for people I've coached, what I found clarity about these three things, core values, core beliefs, and your purpose, offer you an opportunity. That's what they offer you. They don't guarantee anything, but the opportunity is this to make a choice every day to live into them and my experience as well as those who i've coached their experiences are that when you make that choice you really enter what i call the magic zone okay everything changes and my experience is you attract what you truly want so what you truly want is easier to obtain it isn't easy to obtain, but it's easier because you are putting out there why you're here, what your core values are, what your core beliefs are, and you are living into that. And that is attractive to people because so few people are doing it. It also helps create a very simple decision matrix for you. So if you know what your purpose is, it's really easy to decide, should I have this difficult conversation with my boss or my board chair or shouldn't I? Should I take this job or shouldn't I? It's so much easier when you know what your purpose in life actually is. Yes, yes. And it, not only to have those conversations, but how you're going to have those conversations, right? Guided by your core principles, so your values, your core values. Uh, you know, kind of distinction between mission and purpose. 
uh, you know, they, they can be thought of as the same, but uh, I was, had a conversation with two other purpose-led people recently, and, and uh, I, I like the distinction they, they uh, gave to me, which was purpose is more is individual. Mission is when you come together as a group of two or more, okay? Then you've got a mission, okay? Yes, it's the group purpose, but it's, that's what uh, the distinction they, they gave to me. And I, I really like that. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to use that, obviously. Many organizations have a list of core values. The issue is, in my mind, is people aren't making a decision on a daily basis to live into those core values. Just because you have them, just because you have clarity, does not guarantee anything. Let me just, that's, it comes to a daily choice of choosing to live into these. Right. The other issue is your organization may have core values, but do you have core values? Because what your organization decides is right for it may or may not be right for you. And that's even true if you're the chief executive. Exactly. And what, here's what I would say to you. I mean, I don't have the data to prove this, but I think I could raise the productivity of most organizations, profit, nonprofit, by 40%, almost instantaneously. Because if you look at Gallup, Gallup's survey of engagement has been, for the last decade or more, only 30% of American workforce are engaged in their work. The high-performing organizations are 70-plus percent engaged. The difference is, in those organizations, I would argue, people have a deeper connection with the meaning of their work and its relationship to the, to the mission of the organization. And that comes from clarity about their individual core values, their individual core beliefs, and their individual purpose. If organizations focused on that, Dolph, I think that would be the precursor, the precondition of closing the gap. And let me just say that engaged staff members and engaged team members are also much more likely to focus, which I think is your fourth law. Yes, it is indeed. You know, working on more than one thing at, a, at any moment leads to a significant reduction in productivity and increase in waste. So this is the law of focus. And uh, what this comes out of is the misunderstanding around multitasking and the desire to multitask. What we know to be true is when you're attempting to work on more than one thing at any time, are less productive, they make more mistakes, okay? They are less efficient. So it's this illusion, and we, we've gotten there because we're all inundated by emails. When you hit, go on a, a conference call, people are working on their email at the same time as, as uh, the call, or Zoom calls now. People are distracted and working on multiple things. No one can be as, uh, fully engaged when they are distracted. And uh, with every distraction, in order to get re-engaged, you lose time. So what we know, multitaskers lose between 28 and over 40% productivity. I'll share with you, I recently came across, and I actually used it in the webinar that I did yesterday. I recently came across this great manual that was recently unclassified by the CIA, and it's called the Simple Sabotage Field Manual. And it was originally created by the predecessor of the CIA, so they created it during World War II and widely distributed it throughout Nazi-controlled Europe 
so that individuals who were part of the machinery, part of making everything work, could create sabotage within their organizations. And the first 25 pages don't apply so much to the nonprofit sector because it's kind of how to gum things up, like put sand in the gas tank. But there's a four-page section on how to sabotage organizations and how they operate. And one of those is create as many interruptions and distractions as possible. And in this day and age, like we've done that to ourselves. We have these computers both at our desk and in our pocket that are pinging us all day long with distractions. Ooh, look at me. Ooh, look, I got a like. Ooh, like literally, another email came in all day long. Ping, 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 ping. And it keeps us from focusing. We sabotage ourselves. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the key things here is to, to literally, you know, block time on your calendar, choose the one thing that's most important to accomplish that day and take the hour, take the two hours to get it done. You know, that means shutting down other applications if they're going to be distracting to you or shutting off your email if that's going to be a pop-up ping. Shut that stuff off and get what's most important done today. Peter, it also means scheduling that time to do it and holding that time sacred. So someone comes to you, can you meet today? And you think, oh yeah, I could put this off. I'll, I'll schedule it because otherwise my day is full. No, you've got to schedule the time, that deep think time, that deep work time, whatever you want to think of it as, and then hold it sacred and not let anyone take it from you. Absolutely. The catchphrase is, if you erase, you must replace on your time block. Things do happen. But the idea is you want to block time for what matters most. Not everything matters equally. You know, that's actually my second one. But, you know, not everything matters equally. There are things that matter much more than other things. So make sure you are saving time on your calendars to do what is most important. Absolutely. So let's talk about one more law. I know we're, we're starting to run out of time. Typically, we try to keep the podcast to about 30, 35 minutes. So I think we're probably going to run out of time a little bit. But let's talk about, and I love this one, and I think it's one of your last ones, the law of proximity. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's so true in my own life. And it's also so true in the life of almost everyone I've ever worked with. Yeah, this is the principle, yeah, the law of proximity. The people in your life, as well as the environment within which you live your life, have a profound impact on your success. My wife and I have become very discriminating in our later years around the people in our lives. And when I say discriminating, it basically comes down to two buckets of people, lifters and leaners. And we do everything we can to limit our exposure to leaners now, somebody would say, well, how do you distinguish lifters from leaders? Well, here's one easy way. Leaners like to talk about other people and not in flattering ways. Leaners like to blame, complain, and be victims. You know who they are because they're sucking the life out of you when you talk to them. They're a bottomless energy pit that is just taking energy out of the conversation. Now, lifters, on the other hand, like to talk about dreams. They like to talk about goals. They like to talk about books they've read. They'd like to talk about what they've learned. They'd like to talk about, you know, who they're hoping to meet. They, they like to talk about where they're traveling to, to see something and learn something new. Uh, lifters challenge you to, and inspire you to be better than you are today, be better tomorrow than you are today. They're inspiring. You know, my mother used to say, Peter, you know, 
you lie down with dogs, you'll wake up with fleas. She used to say, listen, watch who you're hanging. And she was very attentive to who I was spending my time with when I was growing up. That's true. It doesn't change from your childhood. It's a lifelong principle. And the other thing is, yeah, the environment within which you're living your life. So, you know, what is your environment like? Now, now I would just tell you, you know, we're in the midst of a house renovation. So our environment is a little, uh, you know, disturbed right now. It raises a certain level of discomfort for both my wife and I. Order is important. You know, so the environment with, with, within which you're living your life is important too. And if it's, if it's just filled with disarray, it's going to be challenging to live in and have a life of order. So uh, this is, you know, it's important. And, and also, you know, where are you spending your time? Are you just all inside? I mean, are you getting outside at all, getting into nature? Where and how are you balancing your environment? I also think as part of the law of proximity, one of the things to just think about is all of your laws require creating habits, and the law of proximity makes or breaks habits. So if you want to create a new habit, whether that is a personal goal or a work-related goal, and you're hanging out with people that don't respect that habit, or you're hanging out with people that literally just refuse to do that type of a thing, then you're probably not going to make the habit. One of the examples I would give is, for example, like running. If you decide, okay, I'm going to run. And by the way, a lot of people have done this in the pandemic. A lot of people have said, okay, I'm going to run three days a week. And then they don't link up online with people that are doing any type of social distance running or link up online with people where they share their run course for the day through GPS or something like that. And so consequently, they might do it for a week or two. And then at some point, you know, the alarm rings and they'd rather have 45 minutes of sleep. And so they go back to sleep. And, you know, it gets to another aspect of leaners. I mean, leaners are people who are less likely to support your goals and dreams as opposed to lifters who are encouraging you and supporting you. Even if, you know, you're facing challenges or you feel like you're getting off track, they're encouraging to get back on track, that it's okay. It's okay that you've missed a few uh, a week of running. It's okay. Get back into it. You can do it. That's a that's a lifter versus I. You know, yeah, yeah. I gave it up too, kind of thing. You know, right? Exactly. Somebody says I gave it up too, or oh, everyone I know just does it for a couple of weeks and gives it up. So don't worry about it. You're still a good person. <laughs> so you know that that's it. but yes, uh, that's certainly a part of it. And you know, I, I just I share with you, uh, you know. Another another law, part of a law, is the importance of accountability. So having an accountability when you're trying to build a new habit, ha, you know, sharing that with someone and asking them to hold you accountable, or checking in with them on a weekly basis. How are you progressing? How, you know, how's it going? Admittedly, in my own life, I'm all about accountability partners. I'm all all about accountability partners. We can have a lot of internal locus of control, but when we put some external control on that as well, it's so helpful. Yes, absolutely. A big difference. You know, those with written goals and weekly accountability are about 80% more likely to achieve their, their goals. And so, you know, the, there is a magic bullet there in terms of if you are serious about accomplishing something, write it down and have an accountability partner uh, and have a weekly check-in. Let me be clear, your accountability partner in a work situation does not have to be your boss. It could be a colleague. It could even be someone who works for you. And let me give you a great example of this. One of my chief executive mentors, and he was probably one of the best chief executives. He now does a lot of interim work, but one of the best chief executives I ever, ever knew. He knew that he had an issue with making 
his fundraising calls every week. So typically, if you're a chief executive, you'll typically set aside an hour to 90 minutes every week just to call major donors and funders and just chat. You're not asking for money. You're just building relationships. That's all you're doing. And it was something that he always, you know, he had a hard time time blocking that. And he'd always shift that time to another week and think, oh, next week I'll do three hours. And then at some point you just reset. And so what he did was he asked someone in the development office to be his accountability partner. And so the development, that person in the development office would show up at his office when he was supposed to make those calls. And she would sit there by his desk while he made those calls. And her role actually was to listen to his side of the conversation and get notes into the CRM. But it was also because she was there to make sure that he really did the calls. And so it does not have to be someone who's above you in the organization or even beside you. You can ask someone who reports to you, hey, can you help me out? Because I need a little help here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how wonderful that is to model that level of accountability and encourage that person to be thinking likewise in terms of something that may be challenging for them to consistently do or build the habit around. So, yeah. And let me, and let me say also to model that vulnerability as the chief executive to say, hey, I'm not perfect. And, you know, I know I'm likely to slip unless you show up and make sure I'm really doing it. I just offered some training to a nonprofit on, uh, you know, seven habits that help build resiliency. And, you know, part of going in, I said to the the founder and CEO, listen, I, I'm not going to do this training unless you and your leadership team have a commitment to actually build a habit coming out of this and communicate that to your team. And they, they, they totally agreed. Peter, the muse has given me a great off the map question for you. I was not sure going in, you and I have known each other for probably five or so years now, but I really was not sure going in what the off the map question was going to be. My background is fake because I did not take the picture. Your background is off the chain amazing and you took the picture. Listeners, first, let me describe the background. He is in front of an amazing view of downtown Atlanta from afar. So you see trees and then you see a rainbow shooting up from the trees into the clouds. It is off the chain incredible. So Peter, you got to tell us the story about this photo. Yeah. So this photo was, so uh, friends of ours who go to our church, but also she's actually chair of the board of a nonprofit that I've helped with strategic planning. They bought a condo. My wife's a real estate agent. My wife helped them buy the condo up in Vinings on the ninth floor. And it's the, the, the building is on a hill. So this is quite a, a look at downtown. It was July 4th, 2018. And we were there to just help them celebrate and also view the fireworks. And what I don't have up is shots that I got that evening, you know, literally a panorama of 180 degrees out of their, their uh, patio that, you know, we saw hundreds of fireworks displays that night. It was just spectacular. Not nothing up close, but it was just a, a whole different uh, view of it. But this is, yeah, this rainbow came out uh, when we were there and, it, and I ended up, uh, actually, I blew this up. I've got a large, uh, color printer and I double mounted the picture and gave it to him as a housewarming present. So it's one of my, it's one of my more favorite shots I've, I've ever taken. And, uh, I, I wanted it as a backdrop. I get a lot of comments about it and it allows me to give a view to people on zoom of what Atlanta looks like from a, a neat perspective. So, so shutterbugs want to know, did you take this photo with your phone or did you have a DSLR camera. Yeah, I got a DSLR camera. I got a, okay. I got a, I got a Nikon 
So I, I, it was with an icon. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Cause that might be just about the best cell phone photo I would have ever seen. That's what I was like, I'd be shocked if you did that with an iPhone or a high Android. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with our listeners a few of your 10 principles for profoundly positive performance. And listeners, if you want to learn more about Peter Chattel, go to chattelconsultinggroup.com. And there's two things I want to make sure you know. First of all, there you can download a PDF of all 10 of his principles for profoundly positive performance. Obviously, we could not cover them all in a 30, 35-minute podcast episode, but you can get them all there, and they're on one easy-to-read page. So it's not like you're going to download a book. You're going to download one page. I also would strongly suggest while you're there to check out his blog and one post in particular. It is called, Are You CEO Material? And it's about the book, The CEO Next Door. And I think that's an important question to ask whether you want to become a chief executive or you already are a chief executive. Because one of the principles is to really understand ourselves well. And so compare yourself to those four ideas about what makes you chief executive material. Hey, Peter, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dolph. It's been a great pleasure to be with you again and, uh, and have this conversation. So thank you. And listeners, if you were busy Googling the law of proximity because you need to get better at building habits and being around people that support you and your mission and your purpose in life, no worries. You can still get Peter's URL at our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Finally, if you liked this conversation with Peter, make sure you check out the first episode he was on, which was episode 51. Full disclosure, that is no longer available on our stream because back then our audio quality was not nearly as good as it is now. We're a work in progress, and I'll tell you, in 200 more episodes, we'll be even better. But you can go to our website, and you can actually listen to it at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Also, check out episode 106, with Ann Mae Cheng on creating amazing, effective organizations, and episode 90 with Maria Kovares on how she grew an organization from zero to $3 million in under five years. Both of those are available on the screen. Listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I just need to make sure I put on here that I am not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. This episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you find that you need that, I would suggest that you identify and speak with a qualified, licensed professional.